Hello, everybody, and welcome to the next edition of Breaking Legal Glass Ceilings podcast. It gives me enormous pleasure to introduce our guest today, Nida Kayum. Nida and I have worked together on a number of interesting cases, notably a case that we went to the Court of Appeal last year. Now, Nida works for North Yorkshire County Council as a solicitor. She's eight years qualified. She specializes in health and social care and regulatory matters and has a wide experience of doing all sorts of interesting work in that field. Nida, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, David. Thank you. Now, over the next 20 minutes or so, I'd like to learn a bit about your background, about how you became a, a very successful lawyer working in a very responsible position in a, in a large local authority. So can we start right back in the beginning? Why, why did you choose to do law as a job, as a profession? Well, actually, choosing law was not my first option. I actually chose psychology and I wanted to be a psychologist. It's only when I was three weeks into psychology that I decided, oh, law might be very interesting. So I kind of decided to read law. Not at that point, I didn't know that I wanted to be a lawyer. I just had a genuine interest in law. I thought law would open up a lot of doors for me because I was quite unsure what I wanted to do. It's only in the latter part of my law degree that I decided that I probably do want to be a lawyer. And that's when I decided to go for the legal profession. So, Nadia, you went up to university to read psychology first, not yeah. law. Where was yeah. that? That was at University of Teesside. So I decided to stay local. And tell me about the school you went to. Where, where did you go to school? Was that in Teesside as well? It was. It was. So I went to school in Middlesbrough, public school, state school. And it was predominantly white people, actually. Um, so I was one of the very few Asians in my school. And how did that feel? Um, it was, I always wanted to blend in. I always wanted to not be different. When people used to ask me about my background, it was kind of, I'm not different. I don't want to be different. I want to be exactly the same as my peers who were all white. So when people used to ask me questions about my background, because obviously, noticeably, I'm Asian. I wanted the, the ground to sort of swallow me up, <laughs> quite frankly. So it was it was challenging. Yeah. Yes. So I was born in Teesside. And I, I, I was born to sort of parents who, this is not their, uh, sort of, they weren't born here. But, but I was, but um, I still felt different. Yeah. And was anyone in your family a lawyer? No, no, no. And when you first told your family you were thinking about being a lawyer, what was their reaction? Well, my dad was over the moon. He was just, oh, my God, my daughter's going to be a lawyer. And at that point, it was uh, my mum kind of didn't see education as a big thing. So my mum was a housewife, never ha had a job, never has had a job. So education was something that my dad pushed me into. But he was he was ecstatic over the moon. But no. I didn't have lawyers in the family to kind of mentor me through, if you like. Nida, help, help me on this. Um, who helped you, if anybody, thinking through your career choices and striking out to be a lawyer? I, di I, I didn't really turn to anyone for advice, really. It was just a case of completing the degree and there was no one to kind of turn to for advice, I suppose. 
Probably my law tutors, when I've done some work placements, I'd ask people what it was like. But I didn't have someone to turn to, one person to turn to for advice. And as you worked through the, the law course and as you worked through your placements, what impression did you have of the people who were ahead of you working as lawyers? So I knew when I started the law degree that the competition was fierce and it was drummed into my head um, during university that it was difficult because I was a woman, but I was doubly disadvantaged because I was in an ethnic minority as well. So therefore, I had to work really hard to make it. And it was kind of because I was from a town, there weren't any big city law firms. I'd kind of gone into high street firms to shadow solicitors and I'd sit in criminal trials in the open court to get an idea as to what it was like. And I remember sort of sitting in criminal trials thinking, I can't do that. I don't have the competence to do that. I'm not going to be able to to make it. So I kind of, I suppose I thought I set my sights on something that was achievable. And I, I thought about your standard high street firms. And I chose my subjects based around high street firms, what would make me employable. So I chose family law, employment law, personal injury. Initially, I wanted to do criminal, but then I quickly realised that criminal probably wasn't for me. Once you graduated from university, did you then go to study at law college to do your... So tell me what happened next. So I actually took a year out. Because in our final year, we were encouraged to apply to do the LPC. But the cost was massive. And at that point, I hadn't secured a training contract. So I think at that time, the cost of an LPC was about £9,000. And there was no funding for it. So it wasn't like your student loan. You had to kind of either get a bank loan or pay for it yourself. So I decided to take a year out to get more practical experience under my belt. And that's when I applied for paralegal posts. And rather than doing the LPC, which I was told by some of my law tutors that it was a bit of career suicide really to take a gap and to take a break because employers would question why you've taken that gap. But I knew the competition was fierce and I needed to separate myself from my peers so I applied for a job at, at the local authority as a paralegal. That was North Yorkshire. <laughs> After beating out the competition to get a job as a paralegal, tell me what happened next. So I really wanted to prove myself in this post because I remember being told by another solicitor who I'd shadowed that don't go for a job as a paralegal or a legal secretary because you will only be seen by that firm as a legal secretary or a paralegal. So I knew I had to prove myself. So I'd work late, I'd do things over and above my job description, my pay grade, and I'd I'd just want more sort of difficult tasks so I could prove myself. I was then approached by one of the legal managers. They basically said, well, I hear you want to do the LPC. And if you remain with us, we can offer you a training contract. So they encouraged me to do it part time. And at the end of that, because of the work that I put in, they'd offered me the training contract, which was brilliant because it was always drummed into us at university that the training contract is like gold dust and it's going to be very, very difficult to obtain it. And luckily, I didn't have to compete for the training contract because I'd 
put in that work when I took my year out. When you say you did more than your job description, you did more than was necessary, give me a few examples of, you know, how did you go above and beyond in order to show your superiors that, that you know, you were really committed and that you had a career in law ahead of you? So I, I, I take work home rather than the lawyers dictating a brief to counsel, for example, I'd ask to draft applications, draft brief to counsels, sit behind counsel, do things when I was on leave. So I, I'd kind of wanted to show my superiors that I could be a lawyer. Um, so I'd done over and above. I wanted to replicate what the lawyers were doing and I, I'd want to attend meetings on my own. I really did go over and above in terms of what was expected of a paralegal. Do you think you would have got the same opportunities in a firm as you got in the local authority? I don't... Probably not. Probably not. And why, why, why do you think that? I feel as though um, with a local authority, it's more geared possibly towards women. I feel as though probably in a, a city law firm, I probably wouldn't have been given that opportunity. I'm not too sure because I've been at North Yorkshire for most of my, all of my career, really. Yeah. When you and I did the case that went to the Court of Appeal last year, mm. you were supremely on top of all the facts and all the law. And it was a real team effort. We can't identify the case because it's subject to an embargo. But I would never have thought you were only eight years qualified. So what, what have you done in the last eight years, once you qualified, to reach that level of competence? I started off in child protection. So I qualified into child protection, representing social workers in relation to normally the removal of children. I did that for about a year and then I decided I wanted to do something a little bit more challenging in terms of law and um, because child protection is very set. You deal with one piece of legislation and, and, and that's it. So I decided I wanted to do something a little bit more varied. Um, and this gives me this job gives me the flexibility in that one day it's we're looking at the closure of care homes. Other days we're looking at debt recovery. Other times we're looking at income generation. It's very varied. So I've always tried to do over and above. So for me, it's not a nine to five job, even though people have certain perceptions of people in local government that they sign in at nine o'clock and finish at five. I don't see it as that. I want to be the best at, at my job, basically. And I put in the hours, I put in the work. I still like to do things that are, are different to my role. I'm always wanting to challenge myself. And I think once it becomes that it's just a, a job, just a role, and it becomes mundane, I think that's when there's a problem and there's an issue there. Because for me, it's always about challenging yourself and, and breaking through barriers and doing more. For me, I like to read around the subject. I like to know what I'm doing, basically. Yeah. And have you encountered prejudice in the legal world, directly or indirectly? Yes, definitely. I think... I think there are always barriers from when I started law, I was told by my tutors, you're going to be, well, you're double disadvantaged now, dear. you're doubly disadvantaged because you're a woman <laughs> and 
you're from an ethnic minority, you're Asian. So I was kind of indirectly told to lower my expectations in a way. And I think that kind of has an impact, I suppose, on the choices you make. But also in relation to obviously coming from a town, there were no big firms. But I I kind of realised that I have suffered indirect prejudices because of maybe I have a northern accent even. (laughs) It's kind of like, you're in the legal profession um, because you're expected to go to a prestigious uni, which I didn't. (laughs) You're expected to have a posh accent, which I don't. And you're expected to kind of, I suppose, be a certain way, which I don't think... I kind of fit into that box of lawyer, which has pushed me even more to be better at my job, really. Yeah. I want to ask you about barriers because you've come through the system relatively recently. What do you think are the, the barriers to, to people with talent and commitment and energy, but no legal background to fairly completing, to get into the, the legal careers? to being a solicitor barrister? I think cost is a big one. I think we've touched on before about the cost of the LPC and the BVC. I think for people from sort of working class backgrounds who don't have the financial backing, they think, well, actually, that barrier of this cost, and I believe it's around £12,000 now for the LPC, you'll have to go out and get a loan. The pay for training contracts are really low So when you sit back and look at it, you think, well, I'm going to have to pay, I'm already £12,000 down, not even thinking about my university debt. And then I'm going to be poorly paid in a training contract or a pupillage. And then then there's no guarantee that you're actually even going to get in. So there are barriers there. Cost is a big barrier because you're sort of stuck between a rock and a hard place because you think, I know I need to get all of this experience. But how am I going to get all of this experience? And and a lot of people don't want to go into your, your lower end jobs because then they're told that you're going to get stuck in those lower end jobs. So so there's it's it's kind of a catch twenty two in that sense. Yep. Um, if you don't have the the financial backing for your parents to pay for your your place at law school, I also think that once you've got past that barrier, then there's there's the competition as well. I think if you come from a non-traditional background, you feel that you have to work twice as hard to prove your worth. And I know that sounds really cliche, but it's it's true. (laughs) What are the most effective strategies for the NIDAs of tomorrow that are sitting there at university or maybe at sixth form and thinking... How do I overcome their, those barriers? What do you think are the most effective strategies for them to in, employ in order to make themselves stand out? I think, I think get real life experience under your belt. Do your voluntary work. Shadow your local solicitors. Get a real insight into what it's like to be a solicitor or a barrister because university doesn't teach you that. Do voluntary work. Get into your local firm. I think that the most valuable thing for me personally was taking that year out and getting that real life experience under my belt. That's what I feel helped me get into the profession. Ultimately, what we do as lawyers is we problem solve. And we problem solve not in isolation, but for real people with real problems. Mm. So proving that you 
you can engage with people, that you can identify the problem, and you can start on the road to solving it, is really actually probably more important than the skills that you learn by working out the meaning of Section 421C or whatever it is. <laughs> well, yes, definitely, I would agree. And it's only in your law firms and that, that work experience that you're going to gauge that. You, you don't learn that from, from the textbooks. It's that real-life experience. Lada, we've all succeeded in some things and failed in others. And our failures are a really key part of what makes us. How important is it, do you think, to learn from things that have gone wrong? Well, I mean, failure makes or breaks you. And it's how you bounce back from those failures that really makes you as a, as a person and as a lawyer. I've made plenty of mistakes in my career, but they've only made me stronger. And you know that you won't make that same mistake twice. So essentially, it makes you a better lawyer. So, I mean, I wouldn't say purposely make mistakes, but looking back, it's the failures and the setbacks that have actually made me the the lawyer I am today. So what is the single best piece of advice that anyone's given you? I mean, don't be afraid to be different. I think my supervisor realised that I, I wanted to fit in, but he said, you know, it's, it's your differences that actually make you. And at the time I thought, no, I need to fit in. I need to be like my peers. But actually looking back, I think now when I'm speaking to the clients and we look at our team as a whole, we're all very different and we all have different inputs and a variety of different backgrounds. And it's, it's your differences, I believe, that make you. And that's the single piece of advice that I now look back and I think, yes, it is your differences. Embrace your differences, basically. And, yeah. and, and society is a lot more diverse now than it once was. So it needs to, the legal profession needs to be reflective of that. Picking up on that, if there's one thing that you would want to see happen to make our professions more reflective of the society we serve, what would it be? It would be to see more diversity in the the top tier of the profession, the QCs in the bar, sort of in the judiciary, people with varied backgrounds, people in sort of magic circle firms at partner level. So it'd be at that top tier, I'd, I'd like to see a little bit more diversity and access to the profession for those who are not from a traditional background. It needs to be a bit more reflective of society because that's who lawyers represent, the community, and therefore it needs to be reflective of the same. Leila, thank you very much for your time, for your brilliant insights and for the encouragement that you've given to everybody who's listening to this to know that you don't have to be at a public school in Seven Oaks to make it as a lawyer. You can be at a comprehensive school at Teesside and still win cases in the Court of Appeal. So thank you again. I'm very grateful. Oh, thank um, you, David.